welcome to this week's edition of The Edge, the official podcast of Bath Edge Television, brought to you by our great friends at Ditchwitch. Bath Edge Television is currently on WFN and on Wild TV in Canada, and of course we'll be back on Versus in January of 2009. This is Outdoors Dan, and i got my good friend Aaron Martin alongside. Aaron, what's going on, man? Hey, Dan, what can I tell you, man? I've been in the north country, cool temperatures, catching a lot of fish, so it's, uh, it's just exciting to be here. Uh, I guess it is. Hey, we're going to have a good interview uh, up deck. We're going to have WBT angler Kim Bain, and I, I really like her story. That's a great story. <laughs> it is. I can't wait to share it, and uh, I thought she did a great job of giving us uh, some great tips. Well, there you go, and then we're going to go on an Inside Edge segment. This week we've got Bob Lust. That's always good. And, uh, of course, Aaron's going to tell us all about his great smallie fishing up north. You ready to go, Aaron? I am. Let's get to it. All right, folks. It's all right here for you on the edge. You're listening to The Edge, the official audio program of Bass Edge. Brought to you in part by Ditch Witches On. Experience the revolution. Uh oh, look here. I got one. I got one. Look here. <laughs> I mean, he whacked that football jig. The blades will dictate a lot of times the speed of the retrieve or the depth of that bait. Oh, good fish. Good fish. Did you see him come off that log? Woo, look at that son of a gun, man. That's awesome. You know, you've got to just stay after it. Fishing is not easy. Oh, man, that's a toad. This is unbelievable. Hi, welcome to the Edge. Aaron Martin Outdoors. Dan here. Aaron, so how was Minnesota? Man, I tell you what, I don't even know where to start. Obviously, it's been hot from being in the south and, you know, just raging temperatures, and it's always nice uh, when you can get out in the in August, you know, and uh, be able to experience some cooler temperatures. But, you know, that's totally overshadowed just from the fact that, you know, our first stop was in Walker, Minnesota there on Leech Lake and the woman chain of lakes there. Uh, I must tell you, the, the fishing and the rice grass and, and the topwater action that we had was just absolutely fantastic and from there we went on to lake vermilion and uh, had the opportunity to fish with one of the collegiate bass anglers association who will be my guest on on that show and uh just caught you know you warned me that the 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 smallmouth fishing was second to none and i've Mm got to tell you it was unreal yeah, did you get? Did you hook into a walleye or a jack? Oh yeah, yeah. We had a little, uh, little game going on. Actually, you know, the first uh, episode I filmed with was uh, Kurt Dove, and we had a little joke going on that whoever caught the first pike, we never caught a muskie, but uh, we did catch walleye and we did catch pike. Uh, then the other one had to take it off of uh, uh, the hook. So I drew first blood on that one. I made Kurt uh, take off about a 40-inch muskie. Wow. Off of my bait. But they were coming through that rice grass. I mean, the, the bite was so explosive, not only by the bass, but also, you know, you bring it over top of those. And I think a couple times we actually brought it over a muskie because they tend to be a little more territorial from what I understand. And, I mean, you'd just see it like somebody threw a Volkswagen in the water. Oh, it's, they're amazing fish. I mean, yeah. they're and they're big, too. People don't understand how powerful they really are. Yeah, no question. Well, I told you, and did you have some walleye while you were up there? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. we went to uh, some of the local establishments there uh, in Walker, Minnesota, and... Uh, of course, you know me, and I think you're a lot like this, where instead of eating at the chain restaurants and that, I always like to go in and experience some of the, the local flavor. I know one of them we went to, I think, was called the Moose Lodge. Yeah, it's a, that's a neat place. Yeah, and I'm, you're exactly right. Whenever I'm traveling on my show, I mean, I would rather eat at the mom and pops any day. No question. <laughs> no you know, question. you get better food, and it's just the atmosphere is really nice. I agree. How do the CBAA boys do? Dan, I've got to tell you, I mean, the maturity and, and just the leadership of, of these individuals, you know, this is about the sixth or seventh uh, group that I've had the privilege of working with. And 
to not only see their maturity as an angler, but also just as really as contributing citizens. I mean, it, it made me feel, I was kind of laughing because it made me feel younger, you know, hanging around mm-hmm. these guys uh, was just a lot of fun and just exceptional anglers. I mean, for given for where they're at, the, the learning curve, you know, that they're on is just tremendous. So you're going to see more out of them, obviously, and, uh, you know, as we keep, keep tabs on what's going on with the CBAA, I know that entire organization has a, a special place in kind of the Bass Edge family. Yeah, as long as I don't see no bass edge going wild. (laughs) I don't think you're going to have that to worry about. All right. Hey, let's talk a little fishing real quick. You know, we're in the middle of summer big time, and um, I know that uh, a lot of people are looking for different things, different patterns, and um, I know we've been talking on on the radio show a couple times about different things. And frogs, I started fishing frogs about four years ago, and early morning along those weed lines and, and on the moss, that can be an explosive morning of fishing. Boy, no question there. And people often ask me, what's your favorite way to catch fish? Well, of course, you know, like any angler, I like to catch them however I can. But if I had to narrow it down to one, topwater certainly uh, is going to rank at the top. You know, and when talking about frog fishing, there's really two styles that I know you, uh, we talk a lot about on your radio show. Um, But personally, that I like to throw, one is going to be more of a hollow body, kind of like the spro uh, or the scum frog or things like that. And basically it's a rubberized frog that's hollow in the center. It has a protruding hook that comes out the back and kind of weedless. And then it normally has some skirt material that's dangling off the back. You know, I really like to throw that in the, in the thick matted, uh, vegetation. You know, it floats, you can throw it up, uh, across the lily pads, bring it over a hole and just let it sit there and it won't sink. Whereas more of the swimming frog, uh, kind of like the zoom horny toad or maybe the uh, the ribbit, those are going to be more resemble more of a buzzbait. You have to keep those moving or they'll tend to to sink down. And throwing both of those on a on braided line situation, uh, really you can target two different groups of fish. You know the the swimming frog is is a little bit better uh, for more of the sparse vegetation, working the edges uh, where the vegetation is not so thick. And then that that uh, floating or that uh, hollow body frog rather is a lot better on really the thick matted vegetation. Absolutely. Boy, and it's a lot of fun catching them on them, I Boy, tell you. no question. Well, we need to run. Uh, we're going to talk with our, believe, WBT angler Kim Bain up first. Absolutely. And uh, I'm looking forward to that. You ready? I'm ready. All right, folks, we'll be right back here on The Edge. Give any type of boat The Edge with MegaWare Keel Guard. It's simple to install, and we can now beach our boat anywhere. If you own a boat, you need one of these. MegaWare Keel Guard protects the keel of your boat from sand abrasion, from underwater obstructions, even concrete boat ramps. Kit started under $140, and best yet, it's guaranteed to keep on protecting for life. Thanks, MegaWare Keel Guard. Thanks, MegaWare Keel Guard. Welcome back to The Edge, brought to you in part by Ditch Witches Zon, establishing a new standard in trencher power and versatility. All right, welcome back to The Edge, and joining us for this week's Angler Spotlight is former FLW pro and now WBT Angler of the Year points leader, and that is Kim Bainmore. Kim, thanks so much uh, for being part of The Edge. Ah, uh, no problem. Thanks for having me on. Well, you're very welcome, and I'm, I'm looking forward to not only hearing about uh, really all, all your success that you've been having uh, this year on the WBT, but also just uh, you, you've got an interesting story, Kim. You know, I must tell you, in, in kind of our discussions and our, our chatting uh, leading up to the interview, you were more or less telling me about uh, how you even wound up in the United States. And, you know, you want to share a little bit of that with, with our listeners? <laughs> yeah, it's a, it is an interesting story. Uh, I've always been very involved in fishing and hunting with my family and 
my father actually ran a, a bass circuit in Australia, and when I was old enough, uh, I started competing on that as a co-angler, and then uh, moved up and started competing as a, a professional angler. And I was always keen on traveling. I was always packing a bag and traveling around the world. And America, I thought, had a lot of opportunity. Um, I'd seen it on TV and read about the bass circuits in the magazines and was really just keen to come and check it out. So I had the backpack and a pile of fishing rods and flew into uh, Los Angeles and was uh, met with a family friend, Norval Pimentel, and uh, now just getting around bass fishing. I, I think you're you're pretty humble because in between there you had a, a few interesting things happen to where uh, I know certainly when you started fishing out on the West with BASS, you made two open championships right off the bat, didn't you? <laughs> yeah, it was it was really fun. It was I mean it was a big steep learning curve for me. I mean I was I was a newbie. I stepped off the plane. I met Norval, and he took me to fish the California Delta, which I pretty much believe is is one of the greatest bass fisheries in the U.S. today, and and Norval, he was fishing up the front of the boat, and he said, grab a rod, rig up a Texas rig, a get fit, and uh, get flipping. And I was like, I don't know what a get fit is. I don't know how to Texas rig it, and I don't know how to flip. So you need to slow down, rewind, and help me out here. So uh, fortunately, through the help of friends like Norval, and then I started fishing on the BASS Western Opens as an amateur angler. And that really gave me an opportunity to not only meet a lot of the anglers that I'd be hanging out with, you know, in years to come, but also learning about the techniques, learning about the, the species, you know, spotted bass, largemouth, and smallmouth, and learning about the different types of lakes um, that I'd be fishing. And, uh, yeah, it was, it was fun. And I, I learn a lot. Um, I write fishing articles uh, for magazines both uh, in the U.S. and in Australia, so I was always very switched on to trying to learn as much as I can and, and trying to kind of dissect it, and and I think I was able to do that. You know, speaking of learning, how much of a difference is there between fishing in Australia versus fishing in the U.S.? I, I think that there's there's some similarities, but there's a lot of differences. I, I think the similarities are that, you know, when you're fishing, it doesn't matter what country you're in, I think the fish that you're targeting, they're always going to be looking for something to eat and somewhere to call home. Um, and I think once you can, you know, find bait and maybe find some structure, you always have a, a pretty good chance of having a good day on the water. What the difference is um, for the Australian fish, like the Australian bass that I was uh, competitively fishing for, our fish hit so hard that they basically set the hook on themselves. And when I came out to the USA and I was targeting largemouth, for example, I really struggled with the fact that the largemouth would kind of pick it up and swim away and it would be a soft bite and I'd have to set the hook. And that was something I really had to, uh, to work on was being able to detect that bite and then being able to set the hook hard enough to penetrate uh, the hook through the weedless plastic. Mm -hmm. what, what about like the, the seasonal conditions and patterns? Are there similarities there? Yeah, that's a really interesting question. The Australian bass that we actually target, all of our lakes are man-made. And the bass that we're targeting in those lakes, uh, they've stocked fish. So basically local committees get together, have fundraisers, and they stock those fish. Uh, the Australian bass actually need uh, brackish water with the sole uh, to breathe. So all of our bass within the lake, they don't breathe. So when I came to the USA, targeting fish that had distinctive spawning cycles uh, was definitely new for me. You know, learning uh, pre-spawn, post-spawn, 
uh, during the school when the fish are on the bed, that was something that I really had to learn and, and get familiar with. I'm still learning, actually. Yeah, <laughs> well, and, you know, I, I think that that we, we kind of laugh in jest of that, but, but really as an angler, you have to always be learning. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I think that every time you hit the water, you always learn something new. And, you know, I've been fishing ever since my mom had me in a backpack. I mean, I couldn't even basically walk yet, and I was fishing. And I think what makes the sport really exciting is that it's always changing, and that you're always learning. And, and this year uh, on the WBT, I've learned so much more again, and it's been just really exciting and fun. Yeah, well, and, you know, I, I think a lot of times, Kim, as anglers, as bass heads, I, I guess would be the easiest way to put it, we get pretty focused and pretty vertical within our own species that we like to fish for, just because, you know, that that's that's what kind of, uh, you know, I guess floats our boat, if you will. But you, on the other hand, you consistently go out and target other species, such as redfish and walleye and kingfish, uh, on a competitive basis. Does that help you, you know, as a bass angler? I think it does. I think I am always on the water, and if I'm not on the water, I'm always thinking about being on the water and targeting lots of variety and species. I think it really keeps you switched on to, you know, not getting tunnel vision. You're always trying something new, looking for something new, and it really keeps you uh, keeps you on your toes and, and always ready to try something that's just, you know, a little bit different. You know, one of the other things I, I think in, in looking at, at really your career uh, since even coming over just to the United States, is the fact, you know, starting out with uh, BASS there on the western side and then switching over to FLW to get more of the eastern exposure, and then now back uh, to the WBT, which is more of a kind of an eastern-southern uh, focus. Uh, you've had to really develop multiple skills as an angler. You know, it's no secret that the FLW is, is, uses, I should say, a little bit more of the finesse tactics and finesse focus um, have you had to deviate from that at all, um, you know, now that you're on the WBT side? It's funny that you mention that. I mean, when I did start fishing on the West Coast, it, you're right. It was all about, I mean, it was some top water, but most of it was drop shot, uh, Carolina rig, split shot, uh, wacky worm, all that kind of thing. And I remember that the first FLW tournament I ever fished was on Okeechobee. So I'd gone from fishing Lake Shasta, where I could see the bottom in basically 40 feet, um, and then I went to Okeechobee, which was just shallow <laughs> and just weeds and grass as far as you could see. And I just thought, oh boy, I'm in trouble here. Right. But I just put my head down and I learned as much as I could. And and now, you know, I really enjoy the fact that, you know, I can drop shot and I can Carolina rig and I enjoyed all those lessons that I learned from the West Coast. But... Fishing uh, on the FLW, particularly on lakes uh, like Toho and Okeechobee and that sort of thing, um, I really learned more about uh, flipping and more power fishing. Yeah. Has, has that shown itself um, as, as your success? Obviously, I mean, you know, with you being leading the points right now with one event uh, left here in the season, you know, you've had some great success and a lot of consistency. Have, have you used that flipping uh, this year? Yes, I have, uh, definitely. I mean, the first tournament we had on the WBT was down in Texas, and that was a flip and bite. And, and before that tournament, you know, I wouldn't have considered flipping probably uh, the technique that I was the greatest at. Um, but, you know, it's, it's like anyone that spends time on the water. If you can highlight something that you're maybe not really that good at, 
you just want to get better at it. So you want to keep doing it and improve those skills. And I was able to almost practice my flipping and pull off a, a tournament win. And, and that was just really exciting and it was unexpected. And it just gave me a, a bit of a confidence boost to really persist with the flipping. And uh, we've had three tournaments in on the WBT uh, so far, and I've flipped in every single one of those. Now, are, are, you, are you staying with one bait, or are you just basically flipping a cross-category uh, of, of baits, or is there, do you kind of have one go-to bait? I have one go-to bait, and it's a React Innovation Sweet Beaver. I do uh, vary the color on it. I've been, uh, this year I've been using a, a black and blue, which is a, we call hematoma, mm -hmm. and then the other one is a, a California 420 which is uh, kind of like a dark watermelon red. Mm -hmm. And uh, I kind of use that one in the clearer water, and when I get in those dirty water situations, I opt for that hematoma that's black and blue. So basically, you, you know, you stick with, you keep it very simple then. You're going to stick with two colors. Pretty much. And it's purely because, because when I finish up one tournament, mm -hmm. um, I rig up my, or I put my rods away in the rod locker, and then when I get to practice for the next one, they're already rigged up, and I'm like, yeah, I'll give that a shot. And it's been working. So. Right. Uh, and, and plus, I have confidence in them, so I really haven't varied uh, too much. Well, two things there that you just hit on. One is um, it, it's not talking yourself out of trying something that, that'll work. Uh, and the other thing that, that we talk a lot about here on, of course, through Dr. Jay McNamara, is, is just confidence and, and how those mental things can, can affect your fishing. Absolutely. On the, the WBT so far, <laughs> they've nicknamed me, or they often mention that I have a better second day. And I think it's because when you go out on the water and you're feeling a little bit pressure of pressure, um, you know, that can really affect your fishing. So, you know, having a, a great state of mind, being excited and laughing and being really super cheerful, I think you always have better days on the water. And I think, uh, you know, being confident and just having a good time, you're always going to have a better day. Sure. You know, a lot of anglers have just little nuances or, or things that they do that feel that give them the extra edge in putting fish in the boat or in the live well. When you're talking about your, your flipping technique, is there, you know, whether it be on the terminal tackle side or uh, specifically on how you rig the bait, or is there one thing, if you had to narrow it down, that you feel, you know, has really helped you put more fish in the boat? I think the one thing that really helps me out with flipping is I use, on all of my reels, I use braided line with the fluorocarbon leader. But the only time I vary that is if I'm flipping timber and I'll opt for uh, straight fluorocarbon. But all the other reels is braided line with a fluorocarbon leader. And it's, you know, the braided line, no stretch, helps me to really set the hook hard. Uh, it lays on the spool nice. I've got lots of power. And then the fluorocarbon leader just to, you know, cover in case the fish are finicky. Sure. Now, how long of a leader do you do you often use? I usually opt uh, for probably about three to four feet. Um, I do a lot of pitching also, and I don't like to have the leader too long because uh, I tie an Albright knot, and I usually put just a dab of super glue on it. Mm -hmm. And if your leader is too long, uh, you actually have the leader inside uh, the tip guide. So when you're trying to uh, pitch, Sometimes that knot can get stuck on the tip guide, so if you have it nice and short, uh, you'll have that knot outside the tip guide, so when you pitch it, it's just uh, nice and smooth and just flows out. Yeah. Plus, you don't have the aggravation of listening to that noise going through your 
your rod guides all day long. <laughs> <laughs> right. It, it is annoying, and it can also uh, weaken your knots. Yeah, yeah. Well, um, you know, in our last closing minute or so here, one question that I do have to ask you, which you knew was going to come up, is, you know, obviously you're married to Andre Moore. And uh, how difficult or how much better does that make your fishing being married to a, a another uh, upstanding professional angler? <laughs> That's funny. I, th- I think it only makes it better. We're really a support network for each other. Um, he teaches me lots of things, and occasionally I can teach him something, so it's, it's really fun. So it, uh, whenever you have a bad day, it, it doesn't uh, go unnoticed, huh? Yeah. You know, it, what's really nice about it is that uh, when we have a bad day, we know just the right things to say to each other to... Uh, each other up there you go well kim i i want to tell you it's it's been a, a pleasure to have you on here and, and a lot of great information um certainly wish you the best of luck in the in the last event that's coming up in in september and uh would love to see you there at the championship and and hopefully advance on to uh the Bassmasters classic Oh, yeah, that'd be great. That'd be really fun. It's a historical event, and who wouldn't want to go? Absolutely. All right, well, uh, best of luck uh, for the future event, and we look forward to talking with you again soon. Thanks very much, Aaron. You know, Aaron, that's just an awesome story. I was reading some of the cover notes when you emailed that to me, and to come from over from Australia over here with nothing but a backpack, that's guts, man. Boy, it is. And, you know, I, I did not realize that until... Uh, the interview, you know, you, th- you think of, we've all heard the story of Takahiro Omori who came over, you know, with a couple grand and, and lived out of a van. But, um, you know, f- to hear Kim's story and, and to hear her just show up in California basically with a backpack and uh, take off and hit the trail, but also to have the success that she's had in such a short period of time, Dan, just really blows my mind. Yeah, and what's really neat, her father runs the fishing circuit in Australia, so... What a foundation to come over here with. Exactly. And, you know, she pointed out that she's always been involved uh, in the outdoors, both from a hunting, uh, you know, and a fishing uh, aspect. But then, you know, just her diversity, because she she fishes a lot in the saltwater species uh, there in Australia. She's also brought that now to the United States. You know, FLW had the, uh, the whole kingfish and the redfish series. Uh, she's been doing some of that. But until recently, you know, she just switched over now that uh, BASS has the, the women's uh, bass trail. Uh, she's pretty much exclusive into that, you know, leading the points situation there. Um, you know, I, I've got to throw out there and speculate that she could be the, the first uh, woman uh, to win the, the Bassmasters Classic. Well, Gary and Shaw is going to love that. Yeah, exactly, <laughs> exactly. So, and I don't mean that in a bad way. They would, you know, those guys, that, they'd be, that'd be an unbelievable feat. Well, it, it would be, but, you yeah. know, I, like she pointed out, you know, when I asked her, I said, you know, obviously switching from the FLW Tour over to the BASS, you know, FLW is, is known mainly for having to finesse fish, just given the, the times of the year, but also the locations that they go uh, to. It requires more of a finesse fishing. Switching over to the WBT, that's put her in a different position. She's been able to basically step up and, and now start uh, flipping and pitching, uh, focusing in on, on throwing uh, really the namesake uh, bait that her husband, Andre Moore, which is also an FLW pro, uh, kind of came out with. So... Get married and have a built-in sponsor. That, that's right. And, you know, I, I often, because there's actually a couple, uh, a few relationships, marriages out there to where, you know, you have both a husband and a wife that are on the professional circuit. And, uh, man, that's got to be tough. Oh, it's sure. I mean, look at all the traveling. Yeah, yeah. You know, you're going you have a bad day on the water, man. You don't want to talk about it at home. Oh, man. can you imagine? I mean, no. that would just be compounded. 
Yeah, that's not a good thing. Oh, what an awesome interview. Uh, folks, I hope you enjoyed that as much as Aaron and I did. That uh, that was pretty special. We need to run and take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to hear from Bob Lusk, and he's going to tell you how to fish better in the heat right there in your own little pond. We'll be right back on the edge. You've got the truck. You've got the toys. Now it's time to get the hitch that gives you more time to play with both. It's the tow and stow receiver hitch by B&W. You want options? Select the ball size, adjust the height to level the trailer, or stow it out of the way in just seconds. It's 10,000 tow and pounds worth of durability, convenience, and the latest technology that has made B&W famous. The tow and stow receiver hitch by B&W. Call 1-866-BEST-HITCH. Welcome back to The Edge, the official podcast of Bass Edge. All right, we are back on The Edge, and joining us once again is editor-in-chief of Pond Boss, fisheries biologist, Mr. Bob Lust. Bob, thanks so much uh, once again for being part of The Edge. Hey, Aaron. Thanks for bringing me aboard, buddy. You bet. You know, we're, we're kind of just cracking right into August here, and that means one thing. Normally, that's a lot of hot water across the country. I wanted to see if you could shed some light on... You know, when we're out there angling in the middle of the day and it's hot, not a lot of air movement, uh, just not a lot of going on, you know, what are bass doing uh, during that time? Tell you what, dog days, here it is, we're in August, steaming temperatures in some lakes. I mean, some of these lakes, especially the shallow bodies of water, are into the 90s. You know, some of the bigger lakes are in the mid to upper 80s. And largemouth bass operate best at temperatures below 83 degrees. And now, i tell you something really interesting about the way lakes behave. The deeper the water, the different they behave. If you got water that's 90 feet deep, the thermocline may be at 30 feet deep, then there might be a 10 or 12-foot layer of cooler water that still has lots of oxygen, and then below that, the water's going to be cold, almost frigid to the touch, probably in the 60s, and it'll be virtually devoid of oxygen. So what happens is bass have a tendency to linger just right there at the thermocline or just below the thermocline where the water's cool. You know, and a bass is always looking for good oxygen, a good source of food. They're looking for a stable temperature. Since they're cold-blooded animals, they like to operate at a temperature that's comfortable to them, where their heart beats at the right rate and their food digests at the right rate. That temperature ranges somewhere between 53 and 83. And when we get to August and most of the Midwest, there's not going to be a lot of water that's going to be at or below that 83-degree temperature mark. So bass are going to be deeper, you know, and they're going to be a little bit more sluggish. They're not going to be quite as active. However, they are going to have peaks and valleys to their behavior because when they get hungry... All these other things are off. They sure. got to go eat. It, you know, if, if the water temperature is too hot and they need to eat, they're going to go eat and go find that that good, comfortable zone again. That's kind of the way they work. So, in your research, is there a difference between, say, smallmouth and a spotted bass, as well as a largemouth or a native bass? Absolutely, sure is. Smallmouth bass are looking more for cooler water. They've got to have that cooler water. They're like Rocky Point. They're going to be even deeper in the in the hot part of the summertime than a largemouth is. They're going to be down in that middle layer of the water oftentimes, where the water temperature is in the 70s or, or upper 60s. That's where they're going to want to be as long as they've got adequate oxygen and the food chain is good enough for them. They can tolerate warm temperatures, but they don't like it. 
You know, once the water temperature hits 85 or 86, a smallmouth bass is almost panting like a dog. Spotted bass are, are similar, although they don't have the same cool water, temperate kind of climate needs that a smallmouth bass does. But, but spotted bass are still going to try to seek that cooler water as, as well. What about as far as in their diet, um, their forage that they're they're seeking the prey? Does that change as the water heats up or cools down? It changes based on two schools of thought. Number one is availability. You know, in the summertime, there's going to be more shad available naturally for, you know, different bodies of water. Uh, smallmouth are still going to be trying to, to, to seek into the rocks and catch crawfish and insects, but they'll also get out and chase shad. They'll also go out and chase, you know, small bait fish like bluegill. Largemouth bass, of course, the bigger the bass, the bigger the meal. There, it's common for a largemouth bass, especially schools of them, they're in two to three pound size class to go actively chase schools of shad and hit them just like a white bass might. But after they feed and gorge themselves, they're going to settle right back down into that summer pattern, hot weather, get down close to the thermocline, as close to cover as they can or close to structure as they can. Well, and, and you know, I think you bring up a good point there, Bob, in that uh, unless you just happen to hit one of the, you know, the peak feeding times, I would say the majority of the time that we're trying to entice bass to bite perhaps is not during those peak feeding times. You know, that's true. And I, I tell you something else I've learned about bass is there are peak feeding times for all the bass. There's also peak feeding times that we don't really understand about for individual bass. So there, there may be a school of bass congregated together, and they're not all going to get hungry at the same time. So some of them will leave that group and go feed. But then there's also times where all the variables come together, the food is available, and you'll see a frenzy. But for the most part in the summer, there there might be three or four times during the day and the night that bass are going to be more predisposed to go feed individually as they are collectively. And that's what gets frustrating. I mean, you might look on your electronics and see this big cloud of fish at 35 feet and catch two fish. That's because all the rest are snoozing. Sure. Well, and, I, and I've seen that even in the most recent, you know, we just did a deep fishing electronics uh, DVD through Bass Edge, and I like to deep fish, but we call them tire kickers. You know, you can be drop shotting fishing vertically and literally watch on your graph. Uh, fish will come up and nose up to it, and, you know, there's certain things that you can do, but they're really not just interested in coming up aggressively and eating that bait. You know, you've, it's almost like you've got to try and entice them into to taking the bait. That's exactly right, because, you know, a bass is going to hit it because you anger it or you're going to feed it. If they're not hungry, they're not nearly as likely. So you gotta got to stick something in front of their nose that's going to wake them up, so to speak, and anger them enough to where they're going to hit. You, know, you may have to stick that in front of them 15 times before they accept that offering. It's just simply because all their needs have been met. So in our closing 30 seconds here, what I'm gathering, Bob, it's very important to pay attention to where that thermocline is. It's real important to know where the thermocline is. It's real important to find the fish, and it's real important if you're not getting hit thoroughly, change up. You know, throw something huge at them. Throw something that makes, makes noise. Bounce it right up in front of their nose. All great stuff. Closing thoughts, and how can our listeners uh, get in touch with you? Well, wear sunscreen. That's my closing thought for today. Yeah, no question there. <laughs> Reach me at pondboss.com, or our office is 800-687-6075. Well, once again, great stuff, my friend, and uh, thank you so much for your time, and we'll look forward to talking with you again in the near future. It's always a pleasure to hang out with you, Aaron. I appreciate it. When I'm fishing in a tournament, time is critical. I need fast, easy access to my lures. My Cook's Go-To Tackle System keeps my bait organized, 
tangle-free, and within easy reach. It installs in minutes under any deck lid, maximizing the storage space in my boat. And its durable construction lasts even through the harshest conditions. Get organized with Cook's Tackle System by calling 1-888-390-8780 or online at cooksgoto.com. Welcome back to The Edge. You know, Aaron, I, that Bob Luck, man, he loves Ponds. He, he does, and, you know, just his the knowledge that he continues to bring, and that's why I think he will always have a place here on The Edge because, uh, you know, just looking at it from the scientific level, uh, there again, I mean, you know, it just helps give us uh, that little extra edge. I pardon the pun, but, you know, it really does when you understand the things that he mentions. Absolutely. Got a prize winner this week, Rich Durbin of Forestell, not too far from Washington, Missouri, in Sullivan. Nope, nope. He, uh, he's going to win some awesome Bass Edge gear. That's pretty cool. Yeah, he gets a uh, Fishing on the Edge shirt and then also a Bass Edge decal. So uh, congratulations goes out to Rich. Yeah, there you go. And you got a question of the week? We do. Actually, it's, uh, I believe, from Kurt. Uh, all the way up in Newburgh, Oregon. So uh, thanks, Kurt, for sending this in. But basically his question is, what is the best lure and retrieve for bank fishing a riprap shoreline? And should I focus on finding points off the bank or strictly look for more cover spots in the riprap, like stumps, bushes, etc.? And uh, just to clarify, riprap obviously is one of those going to be one of those man-made structures to where maybe the Corps of Engineers or somebody brings in, you know, the large boulders to reinforce and prevent the the shoreline erosion. And Kurt, to answer your question, uh, I actually like a handful of of lures to target riprap. You know, one of the bad things about that is because of the size of the boulders. If you're fishing like a jig or bottom-focused a Texas rig, uh, you know, creature bait or something like that, it can get really get down in those cracks and crevices of those boulders, and you can lose a lot. Now. That doesn't necessarily mean a bad thing, but when you're fishing from the bank and actually throwing out into the deeper water, bringing it back up, um, you don't necessarily always have the mobility to be able to go in and, and get uh, that lure and retrieve that. So normally when I'm fishing riprap, I'm going to go to more of a reaction style uh, bait unless there is a specific target or cover like you had mentioned with stumps and bushes along those lines. So normally, first choice is going to be a crankbait or a spinnerbait. Uh, also, let's say if they're not responding to that, if it seems like to be a little bit off, uh, maybe pick up like a, a, a Cinco style, throw that weightless, maybe wacky rig it, uh, or also a fluke, you know. And then finally is going to be uh, the, the top water. You can never classify that out. But one of the things that I do want to make sure that you understand, when you're fishing from the bank, don't hesitate to make parallel cast, rather, down the bank and kind of fan cast that out from a 12 o'clock all the way out to the 3 o'clock because a lot of times as uh, maybe the sky conditions or the wind change, those fish will be positioned at different depths and holding on that bank. As far as, uh, you know, if you find the more cover, uh, like the uh, the stumps and the, the bushes, by all means, make sure you pick up something Texas rig or a jig, get in the center of that, that structure or right down alongside of it because chances are those fish are going to be staging. Hopefully that will help you catch more fish. Well, that sounds... Now, what would you recommend on the line situation? Line situation, you know, depending upon the water clarity, you don't often see a tremendous amount of vegetation, you know, that's lining the bank. So, therefore, you know, I'm, chances are my line choice is going to be a fluorocarbon. If it's very, very clear, you know, throwing like the fluke and the, the crankbaits and stuff like that, chances are you'll see me maybe with about a 10 or 12-pound test uh, capacity on that. Well, I was just curious because there's some stuff that cut your line in there. Boy, that's that's for sure. And, you, you know, I, again, if you're throwing that crankbait or that spinnerbait, what we're looking at is making sure that we're getting, allowing that bait to get down to the ideal strike zone range where those fish are going to react. You know, you can always experiment, but uh, that would be my starting point. 
All right. Well, there you go. Great question. And thanks, Kurt, for uh, sending the time, taking the time to send us in. A wonderful, wonderful question. Hey, we need to uh, remind you all out there that uh, the latest Fast Edge merchandise is out and about. And uh, don't forget about that e-newsletter. I know that uh, everyone's working hard on that right now, Aaron, aren't they? Yeah, absolutely. You know, that's each and every month. And uh, there again, if, if you maybe possibly just signed up and missed some of the back issues, you can certainly go there to uh, BassEdge.com under the Media Center. Click on uh, the e-newsletter, you can see some of the back issues uh, that has come out. But on as far as the new information is concerned, that does not get posted to the website until about 45 days after it's already aired. So, What about the new video clips? Are they up? New video clips are constantly up. Uh, we are filming those all around the country uh, with numerous anglers, so a lot of, of really good information. There you go. What's happening next week? Next week, uh, another great week lined up where we'll have FLW Pro Jerry Green, who is not only setting fifth in the points on the Strin Series, but sixth on the tour level. My notes are showing that we will be talking about versatility, and then we'll also be joining Troy Heckman to give us the latest Collegiate Bass Anglers Association update. All right. Well, don't forget, we want to hear from you folks. Go to BassEdge.com whenever you can. Let us know how we're doing. iTunes subscribers, make sure you rate us every time you can. We want your feedback. Very important. And Aaron, uh, you know what? Uh, what's the TV show? Where are we at on the TV show? We're on uh, WFN, the World Fishing Network, uh, basically every day of the week, um, and then also on Wild TV in Canada, and then we will be returning back to Versus Country with an all-new Season 3 that you will not want to miss uh, starting in January of 2009. Well, there you go. Well, that's going to wrap it up, old buddy. I guess we'll talk to you next week, huh? See you on the other side. All right, folks, we'll see you next time right here on The Edge. Bass Edge would like to thank the following sponsors who make the Edge audio program possible. Ditch Witch, Mother's Waxes and Polishes, B&W Trailer Hitches, Megaware Keel Guard, Cook's Tackle Management Systems, Ardent, Rule the Water, Legend Boats, O'Reilly Auto Parts, Superstart Batteries, and the Clarks Hill Partnership of Georgia. For more information on Bass Edge, including our television show, training materials, e-newsletter, and podcast, please visit www.bassedge.com. Be sure to join us next week on The Edge.